Forgive me. I'm here. It was, it's about, it was about the center. You know how the Dalai Lama, His Holiness has accepted, a teach, accepted an invitation from Lama Zopa to give a teaching for the FPMT students. So anyway, instead of all of us watching online individually, Charmaine here at the center, and we were just talking about how nice it would be if, let's say, we in Santa Fe, she's sending out a little link to everybody that we can all watch it together. So if some of you guys, you know, you should watch it all together. One person, the host, will show the actual YouTube teaching and you can all be in zoom together and you can all discuss it if you wanted to be very nice nice tomorrow will be yeah no yes yeah, be fine for you australians anyway that was just you knew about that didn't you it's in the afternoon tomorrow that's so, right yeah anyway, just a thought we're doing that in santa fe we're doing it all together we're going to watch so we're just sending it the link out to people. Okay, let's continue. So the third way our karma arrives, like I said, we divide all the people and sentient beings and the rats and the cockroaches and the dogs and the ants and the husbands and the ex-husbands, check it, since you're born, into two categories. This is very simple. It's almost silly. Those have been nice to us, kind to us, loving to us, generous to us, like, you know, and then and then they change roles sometimes. And then those have been mean to us, unkind to us, the rats. You don't like the rats. You don't like the ex-husband. They're in the enemy, the friend category and the enemy category. That's very simple. So the karma we have with these people, how they see us, how they treat us. This is the third way our karmic seeds ripen. And this is called experiences similar to the cause. This is the one that we get find very shocking. Because if karma is a natural law, and Buddha says it is, means there's nothing random. So you're, think of your life, I like this analogy, think of your life as like a garden. And whatever's in your garden, you know by definition, because it's your garden, you must have put it there, honey. So, you know, you don't go around saying, who put weeds in my garden? You don't look in your bank account and who, why aren't there no dollars in my bank account? So that's the way we think about life now. We think it's all accidental. We think somebody else did it to us, good and bad. So we have this feeling, this is the way ego works, of no of no responsibility, no accountability. Oh, nothing to do with me. I didn't ask to get born. All these good things that happen. I don't know why good things happen, but give me more, please. I don't care about those. And why, how dare bad things happen? I do not deserve it. That's how we think. This is a very profound thing to look into. That's the view of ego grasping, and it's a complete misconception, Buddha says. It's totally based on a misconception. It's very clear. So it's quite shocking to hear this, you know, that we are responsible. The person who gives you a million dollars is not accidental. It's not because you're cute. It's because you were generous in the past. The bank who doesn't give you a loan is because you, you, know, you stole or weren't generous in the past. Your, what's in your garden is yours. It's a very simple example, but it, wow, it takes time to think this way. It really, really does. We see everything out there as like an accident, you know, good accidents and bad accidents. Not like that at all. This is profound. Now, the fourth one, we don't all just float in the sky, do we? We have an environment. And this is where we get the Vajrayana model now. All minds are inextricably linked to their own set of the four elements. And then there are, so then whatever the mind does programs the mind in those habits and pollutes or purifies the four elements, which in turn eventually becomes health or ill health and in turn produces even the body you get and in turn much longer results in turn even impacts upon the external environment and creates the external environment. The four elements out there are the same four elements as this body. So if they're imbalanced and polluted and disgusting and smelly, that's the collective karma of all the people in that environment from thousands of lifetimes of killing, for example. Look at COVID-19 right now. It's universal, the whole planet. First of all, those who die 
young or get killed, that's the experience similar to the cause of past killing. Those of us who don't get COVID-19, even if we've kissed our girlfriend who's got it, because we have got non-killing karma, so we don't get sick and the environment, or we don't die. The environmental karma is if you have a tendency to get sick, that's from past killing. If the environment harms you, and these days other human beings are the environment for us. We can't even touch our mum. It's like cane toads in Queensland. You'll die if you eat them. That's environmental karma of killing, collective karma. So the environmental karma is the longest term one. It's like from thousands of lifetimes ago that we all collectively experience. Now, clearly you can say people in Australia, the whole collective group of people didn't have such heavy karma with COVID-19. You had maybe more karma for being imprisoned. You were locked in your houses. That was a different karma, but not from COVID-19. You didn't, it's very interesting. So now, okay, so now if you, uh, you know, say, you, in, so that we got the, so the human body is the body that we've got. All people have got some kind of level of physicality. Animals have a body a bit like this one. We're a bit similar to animals, aren't we? It's a low level rebirth we've got these days. Eons ago before this planet, humans had a subtle light body, another whole level of existence. But, you know, you've got also got spirits, these disembodied beings. And you could argue because this is their, they're, they're the, that, that realm of existence is a result of incredible attachment and grasping, very, very suffering. And they're, they're like ghosts. You can't see them, but their mind is conjoined with predominance of air energy. That's so why we can't see them. But they've got a physical body, but it's air. Look at the hell beings. Their, bodies, their mind is conjoined with fire. It's a way of analyzing. It's very interesting. Now, if you're as a result of a lot of virtue, you get born in a God realm, which is equivalent to heaven. It's still in samsara for the Buddha because you haven't realized emptiness yet. But because of masses of virtue, you've purified your mind and you've purified your wind energies. So you get reborn as this blissfully being, blissful being, God, a God, they call it, not like capital G, but a, day, a, a deva. It's still in samsara. It's like the best suburb in samsara. So your, 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 your karmic appearances are blissful and radiant. You have light body, your, your, your four elements of manifesting a subtle light, which caused by the body. All of these different methods, these, these, these realms of existence, the mind's behavior pollutes or purifies the elements and so causes that kind of physicality. No one does it to us. So now what is a pure land? There are trillions of beings who are Buddhas. They've become enlightened. Now they don't need bodies. They've done the job. They're just sitting there blissing out, pervading the universe, being blissful and wise and clear and compassionate. But because they're driven by countless lifetimes of compassion, they're not going to muck around. They're going to be manifesting continuously in different bodies. So because their minds are completely pure and enlightened, they've also got their four elements conjoined with their mind. They can manifest. They're like magicians. They can manifest their mind into any shape of four elements they like. They can turn into a computer. They can manifest their four elements as a computer. That would be the Buddha. You don't see, you see a computer, but the Buddha's mind is there manifesting a computer. The Buddha manifests dogs. The Buddha can manifest any form to benefit others. Now, that's the, that's the Nimanakaya, the emanation body. But there's another kind of body, a more subtle body, like I said before, which is all these Buddhas like Tara and Chen Reiji, there's hundreds of them. And they're all manifestations of the Buddha's mind at a subtler level at a subtler level, that only the Arya Bodhisattvas, those who realize emptiness, the great saints, only they can cognize the Buddha at that level. And so that, and because those deities, they're like a God realm in a sense that their bodies are made of light, but they're not just in the God realm, they're enlightened. 
So they manifest in different shapes and sizes. And so they have an environment in which they live in. And somebody with and people with lots of merit can get born there to become a Buddha very quickly. That's a pure land. So Amit, I mentioned this, that's right. Amitabha, Lamayeshi says in his book, Lamazopa says in his book, is probably the only pure land of all these great Buddhas that is available to regular people. You've got to have realized emptiness or have a very high level realizations to go to the other ones. So that's a pure land. So if you want to get to born in a pure land quickly on the basis of bodhicitta to get there and become and wisdom enlightenment, because you've got a subtle light body, you only hear teachings day and night, and you get enlightened so quickly. You don't need toilets and food and sleep and all those gross things. You don't need that. So it's a good idea. Get born there first. That's what I plan to do. I mean, let's see. You never know. I might get a dog's birth instead. I might make a mistake and go to the wrong womb, isn't it? So it's a pure land, roughly speaking. So, that, but karma, the one about karma. So then, why is it would be not? Why would it be not? Why is it not recommended that you knock off your pussy cat or your grandma, for that matter? It's not a moralistic issue. It's a practical one. So, okay. So when you create, when you do an action. Let's say a typical action, a typical negative action called killing. Buddha would call that a negative action. Why? Because it harms others. But as to whether you create negative karma or not, is that's not the only thing to consider. It is to do with, so when you do the killing of somebody, a typical action of negative killing, a, a typical action of a killing action, which makes it negative, there have to be four things in place when you do it. The first is the object, that mouse in your kitchen. Second is your mind involved in it. And this is the crucial one. There's many things involved, but there's two things essentially here. There's intention, and not meaning good intention, but literally volition. This main state of mind that's there every second that drives everything we do. Because much of it's instinctive, we don't notice it. Intention is there every second. So intention will be, I will kill the mouse. But what comes along with that, and almost instantaneously, which is why we'd think they're the same thought, but there's two separate thoughts there. The second thought in this number two, first is object. One, object. Two, your mind involved. There's two A is intention, and two B is motivation, your reason. Why are you killing the mouse, Rabina? Oh, disgusting mice. I hate them. That's called anger. So your intention is, I will kill the mouse. But that on its own is neither good nor bad. Intention is neither good nor bad. This is a really crucial point. It's neither virtuous nor non-virtuous. It's a bare bones, I will. What makes it negative or positive, what makes it virtuous or non-virtuous is the motivation that comes along with it. And in this case, anger. That's a typical action of killing. Look at the world, please. Don't go around killing people because you love them. You don't drop bombs on people because you love them. It's called anger. It's not complicated. The third of these four components that have to be in place when you do the action of killing to qualify as a complete action of killing. The third is there has, you do the action. Well, you stand on the mouse or whatever you do to it. Three, the action. You do the action. Four, the result. Dead mouse. Roughly speaking, that's called a complete action, a typical action of negativity. Now, look at our human world. You know, like we looked before, we said before, you know, let's say we've got a human body, 7 billion of us, you know, 
pretty amazing. We got the human body as a fruit, the fruit of one of our bank vaults of non-killing karmic seeds. But look at the human realm. Look at this world. Look at the planet. I'd say the majority of humans, including with respect, the majority of religions, say it's okay to kill. And even science, I mean, in the European culture, going back to the Christians and then going back, and then the scientists going back to the Greeks, in each case, we don't value most creatures. Now, these days, people say creatures are allowed to be happy too. But, you know, we certainly don't value the rats and the cockroaches, the ones that disturb our peace. And, we, and in the Christian teaching, I was taught as a Catholic that God made them for our benefit. They don't have a soul. So there's no, there's no compunction about killing animals. You know, these days people have some compassion for them and so become vegetarians and things, you know. But in general, killing is a very common behaviour among humans. So it's quite shocking. Even though we've got the human body from one non-killing karma, in our next bank vault of karmic seeds, we, the tendency to kill is the one that tends to be stronger. It's very depressing, you know. So the second way our karma ripens is with a tendency to kill because you've done it before. And crucially, is because you haven't purified the habit. So a friend of mine, Daichen, she lives in Geelong now. She lived up in Chen Raising Institute for years in Queensland. And she told, always told me about her boy. He's like 40-something now. When he was like three, she told me that when she was taking the lice out of his head, He's crying with compassion for the lice. Mommy, mommy, don't hurt them. It's their home. Leave them alone. No one taught him this. And since that time, he's never killed anything. So we can deduce using the Buddha's view of karma that he must have not only refrained from killing, and we're going to talk about this, not only consciously refrained from killing in the past, he must have lived in the vow not to kill and purified his killing. This is the first level of practice, at least stop killing and live in vows to not kill and purify the killing seeds you've already done in the past, put atomic bombs under them. That's purification. So guaranteed, one, he got a human birth, and two, he woke up in this life with compassion for other creatures and so didn't have the wish to kill them. That's because he lived in vows. So you could argue all the other people who born as a human, they got their human body, but they've done killing in the past, but they haven't purified the habit. So they wake up in this life and they just continue killing. And what happens then? You go straight back to the lower realms. That's the tragedy, you know. So the second way your karma ripens, tendency to do something. And the stronger the tendency is, of course, the more you think it's okay. You don't question, you know. So three... The third way in this, in this, there's four ways, four things in place. Remember, I said. So the first is there's a mouse there. Second is, or your pussycat. Let's say your pussycat. We'll use another scenario for killing now. So the pussycat is there, and it's your beloved pussycat, and you know she's sick, she's got cancer, and you have come. So, first, one, first, there's an object there. Two, intention. I must kill my pussycat. I know we don't say that. We put polite words like put her to sleep. But let's be blunt here it's called killing. So you think, I must put my pussycat to sleep. Now, that's intention, neither good nor bad. What makes it good or bad, obviously, is your motivation. And in this case, it is compassion. No doubt about that. Everybody who kills their pussycat, it's, it's mostly compassion. It could also be laziness. It also, it also could be that you just can't spend all this wretched money and you're sick of the damn cat being sick all the time. But generally, there is some compassion there. So straight away... That changes, that mitigates the, the, the action. 
Three, you do the action. Four, dead pussycat. Everybody in this room probably has killed their cat or their dog or thought about it, you know. So let's look at the karma of that. But there's two things going on here. So for yourself, you could argue the karma's not too bad because you meant well. The motivation is the key factor that determines the character of the action you do. But you ought to ask the question, well, I wonder if I kill my pussycat, that it will benefit my pussycat. Now, if you have the view, and this is why most of us do have that view, well, when, when the pussycat dies, her suffering will stop. So that's the logic we use. So therefore, we think we're being compassionate to the pussycat. But what if you factor in the Buddha's view that your pussycat's mind will continue just like yours and the karma that will determine her next rebirth will be triggered just before she stops breathing. So now, can you say with certainty that your pussycat will definitely take a really good human rebirth and have a Buddhist, Buddhist path and meet the Dalai Lama and, get, and try to get enlightened. Can you say that with certainty? And if you can't, then we should not play Russian roulette with our pussycat or our mother for that sake. That's the practical issue. It's not being moralistic. It's like if you have not got certain, if, you know, if there's an action you're going to do, like send your three-year-old child across the road and there's a there's car and there's, uh, there's, you know, there's traffic around the corner, but you cannot be certain a car won't come around the corner. I don't care how much, how urgent it is, you would not take the risk. You would not risk your little child's life until you are certain that there's no cars coming. So if you don't have certainty about the pussycat's rebirth, and if you don't have certainty about your grandmother's rebirth, then you are playing Russian roulette with their mind. You are fine. You probably had compassion. So you've, you're okay, but you ought to be thinking about your pussycat. That's the Buddhist approach to it. So for this reason, you don't just let your cat die with agony. You do everything you can, like we talked before, to help your pussy get die a happy death. Have her with mantras all the time, even when she's unconscious, give her little painkillers, have her in a safe place, and then, is, and then she'll die a happy death. And she'll die, you know, yes, she's got pain. Many people have terrible pain. It's true. Do everything you can. But half the time also what we don't notice, our compassion is mixed with attachment because we can't stand the pain. We feel freaked out, you know. So we've got to really look at this and think about it carefully. So I think I need to ask me some questions about that part because this is a very common one for everybody. Um, we yeah. did have a question from Francis about karma. Um, so good, good, Francis. Ask me. Ask me. Yeah, uh, Francis was asking. Um, in my thirties, I had a termination. So is that in, oh. on my karmic record, or can it be cleared? Is it too late to do something about it, or can it be purified? I understand. Well, first of all, Francis, I mean, me too. I was 23 and I was in London. I was a hippie and it was 1968 and I got pregnant. And that second I said to myself, oh, my God, I do not want a baby. And I felt lucky because the, the NHS, the National Health System Service, had just made abortions free on the national health. And I felt so lucky, you know. So same story. So I'll use, it's a good, it's a good, good you ask. I'll use it as an example, first of all, of how karma works. It's very interesting. But also, yeah, of the karma that's involved. Just let's look at it, Francis. It's a good question. Um, okay, so, but first of all, Francis, karma is just meaning everything you think and do and say leaves seeds in the mind. Well, you know very well you can change your mind anytime you like. There's no, there's no thought you can't change. There's, you can't bring a baby back to life. That's true. But you can change your mind. You can purify the action. And that's what purification practice is. It's a huge one. And we'll go into that. 
It's a really huge one, so important. Let's look at the abortion. So there I was, 23. I stopped being a Catholic. I'd stopped being a Catholic when I was about 19 and I was trying to be a serious hippie. That means, you know, you get boyfriends and things and I was a very serious hippie. So this, I remember this boy, it's kind of, it's not too much information. I don't want to embarrass you, but it was funny because I was living in London. I remember I earned 13 pounds an hour. It was in 1968. What's that noise? Jason. Mute yourself, Jason. Now someone else. Who is it? Never mind. So then, you know, I was, I felt I was earning 13 pounds a week. I'll never forget. And then I met this fellow and he was Australian. He lived in Earl's Court. I mean, you know, old fashioned days in, in, when Australians went to London, they lived in Earl's Court. It's ridiculous, you know, so I met this fellow and I remember he's an architect and I remember, and his name was Rob. He's probably dead now. Cause I mean, I'm old. He must've been older. And I remember I was, he earned a pound an hour. I was very impressed. I earned 13 pounds a week. I remember that about him. That's about all I remember. And I didn't like him much, but I was a kind hippie, you know. So anyway, all I know is I got pregnant. And that, and this is something, by the way, very interesting. This is I've heard this from many women. This is incidental, but it shows how about rebirth. This is, I've heard this from many women, not any men, but many women. That, um, for example, the second I was with this boy, that second... I said to my, I knew, I didn't know the words. I didn't call it a sentient being. I didn't think of it as a consciousness. I stopped thinking like a Catholic, so I didn't think of it as a soul. But I knew that second I was pregnant. A friend of mine, she and her husband were staying with their mother while their house was getting built. And the daughter came found for breakfast one day and said to her mum, oh, I'm pregnant. And the mum said, oh, fantastic. When did you find out? And the daughter said, 40 minutes ago. So in other words, it's, this is very common that when, you, when you're actually with the boy, that's the time when the egg and sperm come together. And commonly, not always, commonly that's when the consciousness jumps in. But And many women know that. She knew it, that this person, she knew she was pregnant. It's very curious, isn't it? That's what I knew, vividly clear, vivid. It was vivid for me. So anyway, I didn't think of it as a person. I didn't try to, I never thought it was a baby. I, just knew I didn't, didn't want a baby, you know? I knew that much. So it was very clear. Now, even this is fascinating. I've never thought even in my whole life to kill anything, even an ant. I never had the thought much. I might have killed some out of laziness. I never wanted to go fishing. I never had the thought to kill. But this was such a crystal clear. And this is the interesting point, that karma between us, this is the, the karma called experiences similar to the cause. We have a lot of history with each other. We don't just bump into strangers. There's no way. We just think everybody we meet is a stranger. There's no one in the world that you meet. And there's nothing they do to you that isn't the result of your karma together. It's, it's natural, it's logical, absolutely logical. So I had clearly had strong karma with that particular consciousness, that whoever it was, I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, they, they went straight to my womb. They ran like a magnet as I dropped in, hopped into bed with that boy. So they had strong karmic history with me, that person. So they got a human body. They won the lottery. They got the first kind of karma. But to look at the next one, the karma between us, I never had a doubt. There was no agonizing about it many women agonize about it and that's just so it was from, it was crystal clear so what that indicates is this person had very strong karma to be killed it's very interesting another example a friend of mine years ago he said that his mother only recently told him and he's like 40 now that she was in the hospital already in the gown she decided she'd paid her money it was some other country to have an abortion it was super clear no doubt and she's in the hospital she stands up she goes to a door she puts a hand on the door handle to move in to go somewhere else and she suddenly decided 
I will not have an abortion. He has been so moved by that. Well, you know why she decided that? One of the reasons is because he didn't have the karma to die. In other words, we're not just innocent victims. We all are kind of playing, we're all playing in these scenarios together, you know. So this person who came to my womb must have had a very strong karma to be killed. There was no argument about it. And, I, and then even it was facilitated. The national, I had no money. I couldn't have afforded to pay. But the National Health suddenly gave free abortions. So everything went really smoothly. I went to the hospital, the Charing Cross Hospital. I saw the doctor. He accepted my reasoning. They gave me a room. And then because, and this is the interesting point now, the karma of my baby, Francis, they didn't do the DNC properly. They they mangled the poor little body. So they had to put me back in the hospital and they had to give me, and then I got all depressed. I didn't know why. I didn't think about it. And they gave me a free room for 10 days. So I was very fortunate. But this poor little baby, you know, had to be, so I'm just talking, think, there's the karma of this child, you know, this person to get killed by me, by me, because I must have killed them in the past. They must have killed me in the past. And to even get kind of mangled, you know. So there's many, so it's very fascinating. So I, so I, but also with abortions, Francis, of course it can be purified, darling. There's no karma that can't be purified and I'm going to go through the process. So the thing was with that abortion, also that's heavier. I'm not trying to make you women feel guilty, please. I'm just talking about these things. We can all purify our karma. Don't worry about it. Animals kill far more than we do. They're far better at killing than us. Always think of one whale, one big fat whale opens its mouth for one mouthful, it's one big fat breakfast on one morning, and in its long life, its first mouthful of one breakfast, it eats 40 million little sentient beings. So they're pretty good at killing. So don't get too distorted by it. Just recognize these things. So also, abortion is kind of heavy because I had to get the doctors and nurses to all be complicit in it, you know. It's just the way it is. This has come. So then, then, so for me, at the time, I didn't think about it much. But when I became a Buddhist, of course, I thought about it. So then, since then, whenever I do my four opponent powers, my purification practice at the end of the day, which we'll talk about, I better hurry now. 8.30, 6.30, okay, what time? So then, you know, you, you, there's four steps for the purification, which we'll go into. We'll just, we'll talk about that. But there's no karma you can't purify. Of course, if the seed has ripened, then you can't change that. It's ripened. You can you can have an attitude. You can change your attitude towards it. But all the seeds we've planted in the past, not just this life, Francis, but countless past lives of countless killing seeds, they're in our mind, waiting for the conditions to ripen as my suffering. And this is why we should purify it. This is part of our daily practice. As Lama Zopa says, we're insane not to do purification every day. Okay, so before I go into purification, are there, we'll go into more, Francis, about it, but are there any more questions about karma? What the way I've been discussing? Oh. Um, there was a, a comment from Maria. Um, I'm not sure if you had a follow-up question, Maria, but just about she's been feeding bugs and worms to her chickens. And so exactly, said, exactly. Um, yeah, this is a, typical, a tricky one, isn't it? This is where this is where it gets really tricky, you know. Um, the ideals, I mean, the fact is that chickens probably like their worms and bugs, right? But I think, and you can't stop them, but I think for you to consciously do it would be just very foolish. They can manage with other things. So I think, Maria, very clearly from your point of view, for your sake, but honey, also for the sake of the chickens, you're facilitating the chickens to create killing karma. So that for the chicken's sake as well, but feed them lots of other things and make them so fat they won't care about the worms. 
So try not to feed them living beings. And with chickens, it's easy. But like, what if, what if you've got a pet snake? They've got to eat their big, fat, live mice. It's kind of a difficult one. They won't eat a dead mouse. They won't eat a dead mouse. They want to kill the damn thing. So, it's not, But I think with your chickens, you just try not to do for your sake and the chicken's sake, honey. You get my point, Maria? Pretty clear, isn't it? Good. Go on, people. Ask more questions. Um, there were a couple of questions left over from last session about what we can do for people who've already died. Um, about we have to do all that, but it's all answered. I said all the things are in the book. Hmm. No? Or, or you want me to say more? What do you uh, think I didn't Well, maybe I'll ask the questions, okay. but um, this one. Okay, so uh, Helen was asking, after 49 days, do we totally let go of the dead person? Um, she says, my mum died of COVID in the UK during lockdown. I had no chance to fly over, but Zoom yes, funeral. Um, is there any merit in remembering her on her death anniversary or do we wish to in her next life and let go? No, darling, I think it's, the point is the 49 days is certainly a typical one when there's a possibility she's still in the bardo. So there's always a chance to help her mind get a decent life if the, you know, that's the time. But of course, when you've really got compassion and you think about, you should think about your mum all the time and not just once a year. That's just, a, that's a habit we have. But no, there's no benefit in just that. But you think about your mum all the time and always do, you do your dedications, you do your prayers, you say mantras all the time to always think of your mum. And then all sentient beings, you do prayers and aspirations for they get decent human rebirth and stop suffering, blah, blah, blah. You, you expand your compassion to include everybody. So don't just forget about your mum, absolutely not. It's marvellous to, and in many, marvellous to dedicate for your mummy and pray for your mother. Of course, it's excellent to do that all the time, darling. Just have it there as part of your work, as part of your practice, you know. Go on, what else? Um, I think that's all for the moment from the okay. chat. Right, good. Any other questions? Anybody? Do you have a question, Lakshmi? Are you getting ready to ask a question, Lakshmi? <laughs> no? Sorry, don't worry about it. You're not? My, my typing isn't so fast. Look, one of the things that does cross my mind, I hope this isn't a silly question, um, balancing out karma. So as probably many of us have, I have a rescued greyhound and I then feed her meat. And although I am... What? What kind of being? Greyhound dog. Oh, greyhound. Okay, good. But you feed her meat, but you're not, not, okay, that's okay. But you, but that's not like you're not killing the animal for the greyhound. Yeah, but I just wondered about the, is there any karmic connection oh. in terms of creating an industry that produces dog meat? Oh, of course, it's a really big one. We should look into that. I will look into that. I thought we did that yesterday, but that's obviously another center. I will, I will discuss this in depth, Lakshmi. There's lots of things to think about. It's not as simple as we think. There's lots of things to think about. So I will definitely answer it in a second. Okay. I will do. Yeah. I, want to, I want to talk about that. And I want to try purification. They're the two things I want to talk about. So any other questions meanwhile, just in case about what I just said? or pure lands, for example, or something like that. No, okay, good. Let's talk about meat eating. This is a big issue. Okay. Okay, so now let's just take the Buddhist view. It's much bigger than merely eating or not eating meat. This is the key point that seems to me, if we really think it through, Lakshmi. 
Um, of course, you know, there's a massive issue in our world, you know, in the whole world, we divide into vegetarians or meat eaters, you know, we talk about it like this, and it's very, it's a very volatile topic, and it's very political, and it's very passionate. And indeed, you can see the logic, because now for sure, it, it does seem, if you read the research, that the meat industry is pretty monstrous. It doesn't just kill beings, it's destroying the planet, apparently, if you read all the, read all the research, you know, but not to mention, so it does indeed cause unbelievable suffering to, to sentient beings, and the industry is monstrous, and it's destroying the planet. So there's lots of reasons to try and change. Do you understand? So more than even just the killing, it seems like this is what you read about. So that's definitely a real issue. But the other thing is this, if we take the, another perspective, we take the whole Buddhist view, there are trillions upon trillions upon trillions of sentient beings in the universe. In fact, the way the very, the way the universe is, is there are the four elements, and then there are minds. So you could argue wherever there are the four elements, which is the entire universe, that is a conducive environment for beings to be living there. Now, our body alone, we know, is a walking zoo. Our, our, under our armpit, in our mouth, entire ecosystems of what? Suffering sentient beings. They mightn't be chickens and bulls with tails and eyes, but they're, they're actual mind possessors. They're sentient beings. Now, uh, traditionally in our culture, because we don't eat bugs, but now that people are saying we should eat bugs, there's new people, people, they're trying to try to do a new industry to eat bugs. So soon we're going to have compassion for bugs now because we eat them. But we tend, because I think we've got one of my extra points, I always make this point, is that we have so much attachment to eating. We have so much attachment to food that we narrow this entire topic down to whether or not you eat meat. And often people who are vegetarians and vegans, and I'm talking, you know, I mean, whatever, people get very fundamentalist and think they're like holy saints because they don't eat a piece of flesh. They don't have an oxo cube or something, you know. But I'm sorry, just by existing, the Buddha's telling us, we kill billions of beings daily. But of course, to the tiny baby ones, we don't much care about them. You understand what I'm saying, Lakshmi? But this is the reality. And just driving a car. I did the research one day. Some Dutch fellow's done the research. I Googled it. How many bugs get killed on the road? And we even just, it was like trillions per car, per, I don't know how many kilometers, per just the number plate. It must be trillions of beings, real sentient beings just real like us and real like the cows who want to be happy and don't want to suffer, who are experiencing the result of their past karma, who've been our mother in the past, who'll be our mother in the future. This is the bigger picture. There's billions of them slaughtered daily, even to, to, to grow vegetables and rice and wheat. One bloke, I remember one bloke in the ABC in, in Victoria, he got fed up with all the fundamentalist vegans shouting and yelling. And I'm not being saying you shouldn't be a vegan. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a vegetarian. I'm not saying I'm not one of those. I'm talking about being fundamentalist about it because we're so obsessed with eating. So this fellow, he, did, he said there was some wheat field in Victoria where on the off season, when there was no wheat growing, there was a mice plague. And then he said they were the cutest little mice, little field mice. He had photos of them. They sang love songs to each other. Now, what do you think they damn well did to the mice in order to grow the wheat for the holy vegans and vegetarians and maybe for the 20% for the bulls? They slaughtered the mice. And I don't think they did it gently, but we don't even hear about those and we don't even think about those. So all I'm saying is it's a bigger picture than merely whether or not you put meat in your mouth. 
So yes, absolutely, the meat industry is outrageous. And yes, it's incredible to have compassion as your reason to not eat meat. But don't feel so holy, I'm not saying you, because you don't eat meat, that you think that what you do doesn't impact upon animals. It's a joke to think that. So it's much bigger than we think. It's a much more nuanced story. We've got to think bigger and have this real compassion for every living being and understand the nature of the suffering of this universe is that just by existing, we harm others. So what, what do we do? We can't just die. That's why we have to live in vows. And when we have a vow not to kill, 24 hours a day, we've got the vow not to kill. At least we're protecting ourselves and we're programming our own mind to not kill in the future and to get a decent human body and not to have the tendency to kill and not to get killed. But if we keep living our lives like we do now with, and with no caring, eating nice, holy vegan food, thinking you're so healthy, but slaughtering the mosquitoes, not caring that all the mice died for your wheat, I mean, you're going to continue to have the karma to get killed in the future. So even for our own sake, living in vows is so powerful. And then it makes us become more conscious, more compassionate, and more aware of the universe and how whatever we do, how it harms others. So it's a huge issue. We can't, you can't win, but we do the best we can, you know. That's a longish answer, Lakshmi. You with me? Thank you. That's very helpful. So, like, just continue, continue with the practices, purification. It sounds like it's just the suffering of suffering. It is the suffering of suffering, definitely. But we do what we can to become conscious and avoid, and as much as we can, avoid harming sentient beings. Avoid doing actions that will harm sentient beings. So even from that perspective, then you think, well, well should I eat meat or shouldn't I eat meat? And we say, I think ego tries to get off the hook. I'm not saying you now. We try to make it very simple. And then we feel guilty. And then we give a reason, oh, it's not my fault. We've got to be accountable. We've got to realize just by existing, we harm countless sentient beings. So what I'm getting at, so it all depends. Now, again, also another whole factor when it comes to meat. Yes, the meat industry is a monstrous industry. That's always a given. I keep repeating it. I'm not discussing that now. But there's other things involved here that we do not think about. That is, you know, the karma, like the baby who came to my womb, they had the karma to be killed crystal clear and everything went smoothly. Nothing hindered that killing. That's due to their karma. So that's exactly the same here. Billions of people from having killed in the past or from facilitating killing and not caring about all the bugs and not caring about the little field mice in the wheat field or whatever, we're unconscious. We're totally unconscious of all these beings. So we, we are responsible just by existing for the countless deaths of countless beings. So what do you think of the karma of that? Well, we, we will get killed in the future. So one of the things is you if you've got strong karma from having killed in the past, one way or another then you're going to be you're going to be born guess what as a chicken in a chicken factory as a pig in a pig factory as a fish in a pond where they catch fish so the karma of the beings to be killed is one of the major causes of why they get killed you know for example one time in maine where they do lobsters in one, one season, suddenly, out of the blue, there were 10 times more lobsters came to the water of Maine. Now, there were no more orders for lobsters. The fishermen didn't work any harder. Suddenly, 10 times more sentient beings had the karma to be born lobsters and get killed by the fishermen. That's not because they were ordered. 
It's karma that drives so much. So none of this means, oh, well, then it doesn't matter. It's just explaining all the dynamics of what's involved in, you know, who dies, when, what, and whose hands. So the very first thing we can do is at least protect our own selves from wanting to kill, from wanting to harm. So one, live in vows, and then two, purify your karma. At least you can ensure that you at least stop having future suffering of being reborn in the lower realms. At least you'll get reborn with no tendency to kill and at least you won't get killed and then you can continue on your path and develop compassion for everybody there's no other choice you know we just got to become conscious is the bigger one not just be so simplistic oh i don't eat meat and i do eat meat not like that there's so many variations of it you know we've got to be so skillful so wise i mean frankly i would say as you know if i were a vegetarian if i, if I say as a vegetarian you know, and I go to my grandma and she offers me a lamb chop and she's poor and she worked hard to cook the lamb chop and I sit there on my hoity-toity, oh, I don't eat meat, grandma. Excuse me, shut your mouth and eat the meat. It's not going to die, but we get so fundamentalist we won't even eat an oxo cube. It's ridiculous. Meanwhile, you eat the wheat where the, the, the mice were slaughtered, but you won't eat the oxo cube. It's just got not rational in my opinion, but it's not rational about it, in my opinion. I'm not being Buddhist here. I'm giving you my opinion because we don't we don't we don't uh, analyze the whole situation. The really the big picture, you know, it becomes very much attachment. In other words, we're obsessed about it sometimes. I'm not saying everybody, but for sure some. Well, the other one is too. Let's say you know, um, well, like a friend of mine, one 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 lama of mine, and his attendant went offered a dinner, offered a meal, so the person offered meat. And the, the, the attendant said, oh, I don't eat meat. And the lama turned to the attendant and said, you eat that food. So there's more to it than whether you put meat in your mouth. It's being generous to people. It's being compassionate. It's being grateful. There's more to it, you know. There's more to it than merely that. Yeah. And the fact is, if you do eat, you know, serve meat for your, you know, try not to, I mean, at least don't go and kill the bull. Because also that's the reason. It's not as if you're trying to get off the hook and think, oh, well, someone else can kill it for me. No. It's because you don't want to create negative karma and karma is intend. I will kill the bull because why? Because I'm attached to food so I can feed it to my nice dog. That's, that's called heavy duty killing. But if there's a piece of meat around and the animal's dead, you have compassion. You recognize it was an animal. You have compassion. You can even blow on the meat and the mantra will bless the consciousness of wherever that being was once. So there's a million ways of looking at it. It's not fundamental. It's not straightforward. It's not black and white. It, it, we de it demands we become conscious. You with me, everybody, people? It's just my way of talking about it. But try not to get on, try not to go, oh, it's not my fault. I can't help it. That's child, that's childish. Everything we do, we create karma. So we've got to be conscious, you know, based on compassion and wisdom. What else, people? Ten to. What are we time? What time are we going? How are we going here? One. What time? We, what time, what time what got, 50 minutes. How much? 50 minutes. 15 or 50? 50, 50, 5-0. I see, okay. Okay. Any other questions, people? Then we'll talk about purification. No? Okay. Let's talk about purification. Okay. Um, okay. So, karma just is this word shorthand for the law of cause and effect. 
And because it's a law of cause and effect, it means everything's impermanent. Nothing can be, nothing can't change. This is very consoling, very encouraging. I know with my friends in prison, you know, who kill people, let's say, got totally depressed and hopeless. I'm evil, I'm bad, I'll go to hell and just become hopeless, you know. So to hear about the teachings of karma, yes, you did kill. And the person who got killed was part of the deal. Not to say that's their fault, you don't talk like that, but you're in this scenario together, you know. So then you know that, yes, you can't bring the person back to life, but you can change your mind. That's what you're doing. So the, the purification practice has got four steps, and it's always easy to remember them as the four R's. There's a different order, but I like this order. It's very practical. The lamas always use the analogy of seeds and fruits. No, also they use it, sorry, the analogy of eating poison. So if you heard you just ate poison in your dinner, you'd be galvanized into action because you know the meaning of the word poison. You, you know that it would harm you. You've just created the cause for you to have future suffering and you know you don't want suffering. So your attitude will be this first step is regret. So regret isn't, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that poison. You shouldn't have done that killing. What good is that? It's just anger. That's just anger. What I shouldn't have done it is completely useless. But we run to that attitude. But it's no, it's no meaning to it. There's no action. You're just beating yourself up. What's the point of saying you shouldn't have done it? It happened. So what are you going to do? Like that poison, you don't just go, oh, I shouldn't have eaten poison. Meanwhile, you're getting sicker and you keep saying, I shouldn't have eaten poison. It's useless. Or the other one we tend to do, which is very common, is guilt. Oh, I ate poison. I'm such a bad person. We would never do that. But that's what we do when we do killing and stealing and lying and naughty actions. We just get guilty. And we run to guilt very automatically. We don't even notice it. We just immediately assume, because I did that naughty action, I must be a bad person. We don't even analyze it. And that is just not logical. The Christians have a wonderful way to put it. They say, don't criticize the sinner, meaning yourself. Criticize the sin, the action. That's very profound. So regret is this very wholesome attitude, and it's specifically for you. It's not compassion yet. That comes second. You've got, and this is the key point about karma that I think in our modern Western culture, especially, we completely miss this one. It's compassion for yourself, just like it would be if you ate poison. There's no way, you know, no one would criticize you for being selfish if you want to go to the doctor and get rid of the poison. They think you're, in, you're called intelligent. But as soon as it comes to being a naughty person like killing and stealing and having an abortion or whatever, we just run to guilt. This is completely inappropriate. It's, we've got to train our mind not to think that. So what do we think instead? Just like the poison. So every time I do my purification practice at the end of the day, you think of certain things you did that day, like kick the dog, badmouth your boyfriend, shouted at the drivers, whatever you did, you know, killed your mother. I don't care what it is, whatever it is. You acknowledge the things you've done today with your body and speech to harm others at the first level. And then you say, you own it. Yeah, your mother might have been a creep. She might have been beating you up. You've got to own your part of it, not feel it's not my fault, get off the hook, which is how we tend to feel. I did do that action, and I regret that from the depths of my heart, you say to yourself, you've been your own friend here. I regret having done that. That's how I think about my abortion. I remember the abortion. I regret having done that because I was ignorant. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't. 
I didn't think of it as killing. And I regret that. And you've got to say why. Because, Rabina, I say to myself, I don't want the future suffering of that. Because remember, everything you think and do and say will produce future results. I don't want to be born in the lower realms. I don't want to continue to kill. I don't want to get killed. And I don't want a lousy environment. These are the four karmic results of killing. So you regret it because you don't want the future suffering of that poison, quote unquote. That's the attitude of regret. But we have to cultivate it because we just make it guilt instead, you know. So you've got to change your thoughts. It's compassion for yourself. But this really does take time because we don't have confidence that I produce myself. We don't have that view. We just don't have it. So we really have to think about it carefully. This is the first step. So crucial. Then, of course, you, and then you think of whatever things you don't remember this life. You know, I don't remember all the other things I've done. So but you say, and whatever I've done in this life to kill or harm, harming sentient beings with my body, with my speech, or the lying, or the stealing, or the bad-mouthing, or the cheating on my partners, whatever I've done, I regret because I don't want the future suffering. Then you can think in all the past lives, whatever I've done, especially as an animal, all the harm I've done out of incredible suffering, out of incredible ignorance, all those seeds are planted in my mind and they're waiting to ripen as my suffering. I don't want suffering. It's a practical issue, not a, a heavy duty one. It's practical. Like out of ignorance, you planted all those seeds in your garden and you didn't realize they were weeds. So of course you want to get them out before they grow. It's a healthy attitude. It's exactly the same here. It's self-respect. We've got to cultivate it. Then you think, well, whom can I turn to? Where's the doctor? Quick. Whom can I rely upon to give me the medicine to purify this? You turn to the, in our case, we turn to the Buddha. He's our doctor. Second step, reliance. So here in the second step, you do, you know, if you do this as a meditation, you'd visualize a particular aspect of the Buddha from the tantric point of view, Vajrasattva, above your crown. You visualize and you just, you can say a prayer of refuge, but just delight. I delight. Wow, amazing. I'm so happy I've got a doctor whose medicine I trust. And that's the relationship here. It's a big, very different. If I had faith in God, I would turn to God, but the difference is this. This is a crucial point. If I'm a Christian, God created me. And as my priest friend told me, I always quote this, my Jesuit priest friend, I asked him, by definition, what is a sin? He said, by definition, a sin is doing what God said not to do. Now, that's appropriate if you have that view. But Buddha is not a creator. That's like for the Buddha, that's like going to the doctor and you beg her and you have to get her to forgive you for smoking so that you'll so she can so she can stop you from getting cancer that's fine that's the christian view god's forgiveness is what purifies you not here it's marvelous to be forgiven or it's marvelous to forgive but in terms of the buddha he would forgive you he's a nice guy but it's not it's not the point you rely upon the doctor the doctor the, the doc, your doctor well, of course you'll forgive you for smoking but that won't stop you from getting cancer because you've got to do something about it that's the same here so you turn to the Buddha, you delight you've got a doctor, the Buddha, the guru, whom you can use, whom you can rely upon, whose medicines, whose practices you can do to purify yourself. The second part of the step, reliance, is now you think of compassion for those you've harmed. They say we rely upon all the suffering sentient beings. We need to have compassion now. The first step is like compassion for ourselves. 
This is compassion for those we've harmed. Then I think of the baby. I think of that sentient being who due to their own karma in God knows what lifetime created the cause to come to my womb and then get killed and get mangled. I have to have it be dragged out again. So that's, I have compassion for that person and I've facilitated that. So I have such compassion for that person I harmed. Then I have compassion for anybody else I've harmed. And then if you're brave enough, you have compassion for those you've harmed you. That's powerful. Why? Because they will suffer in the future for the harm they've done to you. So that's compassion, so powerful. Third step, you take the remedy. So here you do this visualization of Buddha and you recite his mantra and you're just using your creative imagination. So we tend to think, oh, that's just the mind. It doesn't matter. But every thought you have is what changes you. As Lama Yeshi says, we create negativity with our mind. So we purify it with, by creating positivity with our mind. So you visualize the nectar coming, you visualize, say, the mantra, you want to purify, that is what purifies you. What else is there but your mind? We tend to think, oh, I've done all the purification, I'm still bad. That's ridiculous. You purify yourself. That's the point. So the fourth step, resolve to change. You're going to make a decision, you, you know, and you maybe if you've got a vow to kill, not kill, you reiterate your vow, I will never kill, I will never steal, I will never lie. And if you say it every day, it's like you're doing push-ups, you're making it stronger, you're digging, digging this groove in your mind, you know. And then, of course, you don't lie to yourself, as Lama Zopa says, and you don't say, I will never do bad mouth my boyfriend if it's your favourite habit. So you make a decision to yourself, make a few decisions. I won't do it for 10 hours. I won't do it for a day. I won't do it for a month. You'd be very precise. And these four steps are, I put it this way, that's a really serious psychological process you're going through, not just some religious thing. And you do it very sincerely and you're talking to yourself. You're becoming your own friend. That's how I think of this, this, this uh, practice, you know. So there's nothing we can't purify. That's it. Okay, Francis, clear. Good, darling. Any questions? Good, sweetheart. Um, Rubina, just in regards to um, our karmic connections, particularly with those who have harmed us. So I've got yeah. behind me two abusive ex-husbands. So oh, yeah, <laughs> I, it's joyful. I, but so what I've been thinking in regards to that, then obviously my karmic connection to them at some at some point along the way, we've had some connection where maybe oh. I might have abused them. And they not might have. No, not even so might that, have. That's an exact cause and consequence. Yeah, but no, it is like, it's, it's, I mean, karma, if it's a natural, think about any natural law. We've got to be able to see the logic in it, don't we? It's, it's got to be inbuilt. So seeds and fruits. Once you understand a seed, when you see that result, it's not a random idea. It's quite specific. So any law of cause and effect is quite specific. That's the point here. It's quite specific. In other right. words, you, know, you don't know exactly when and how you abused, but if, you know, it's not as if one punch equals one punch. But abusive behavior with the body will bring back abusive behavior. But I mean, maybe too, sometimes a relationship with a man, like in your case, could be where you kind of get terrorized or or kind of imprisoned almost, or belittled. That's due to pride, for example. That wouldn't be due to violence. So it's, it's, if you look at the character of the experience, that's the kind of action we would have done. Exactly the same with our positive actions, Pierre. If people 
people are always generous with you, that tells you you've got incredible generosity karma. If people never believe your words, that shows you've got lying karma. So the experience tells us the character of the karma we must have created. And karma's pretty personal, honey. It can't be random. Yeah. And is it now exhausted? So is that now, is that connection with those two sentient beings in has that now exhausted itself and ended itself and that's it? Or it can be like sometimes this karma just runs out. It doesn't it doesn't yeah. have to even be negative. Like one day you wake up and you just say, We're we're finished with each other, baby, goodbye, and there's no there's no animosity. But yeah. if it's something like this, but if you ha harbor lots of anger and resentment, then it has not finished. You've got to finish, you can't guarantee they'll finish their part, but you've got to finish your part. So when you do meet again, it'll be water off as ducks back for you, it'll be a completely different experience. That's how we got to purify. Thank you. Yes. So, I mean, I have tried to extend that uh, call of compassion to yes. the, the, those that have caused harm in, and they are included in that sphere, obviously. Exactly. Um, and so right. that is then helpful in breaking that connection. Absolutely. For us, we can't guarantee the other person will change. Okay. We can do everything in our power to do our change and even to love, to having real compassion. Absolutely, Pia. We can. Oh, that's, that's yeah, exactly. Thank you. Continue. Yeah. Good, yes. What else, people? That's why I always tell that story about these two young Tibetan nuns in 2003 when I was, I always tell this story, when I was working for the prison project in, in San Francisco and Richard Gere invited some former prisoners to New York and he invited the Dalai Lama and he invited these 20 former prisoners, all of whom had done some kind of meditation in prison. We were going to do some, you know, some um, co collaborating, but we didn't in the end. So anyway, I was invited as well with some other people who worked with people in prison. So it was very powerful. And this is also about karma. I'll talk a bit more about it, um, about, about karma for sure. And, uh, and um, it was a very moving day. There's some black, white, Puerto Rican, Mexican, male, female people all talking about their experiences and their suffering. And then he also invited two young Tibetan nuns who'd been abused, sexually abused and tortured in prison in Tibet, you know. But what was clear to the Americans was these young women, if you wanted to quantify suffering, they probably was worse than everybody else's. But also it was clear they, they weren't angry. And this is a very interesting discussion. In our culture, we think anger is a really good, healthy, you know, healthy uh, response to something, especially when it's injustice. And there's not a lie about that. I mean, Martin Luther King said it's good to be angry. He meant it's good to see the problems. It's good to find fault. But then you say, what can I do to help? Whereas we go look at the problem and then we shout and yell and try to blame. That part's the anger part. Seeing fault is not anger. That's just called practical. That's, that's called wisdom. So these young women... They weren't angry. They weren't shouting. They weren't freaked out. They weren't having mental breakdowns. They weren't having ADID or not that one. What's the other one? PTSD or something. They didn't have such things. Because why? Because they have the view of karma. That's in the bones of their being since they're like born. Karma's been in the Asian world for a good 5,000 years, 4,000 years. It's in the way that we in the West take for granted materialism. They take karma for granted. It's, in the, it's just how they see the world. So this, I remember the Dalai Lama telling us, saying that he's really sad that these days more and more Tibetans are getting angry. So this is the point because they're giving up the view of Buddhism, giving up and having getting anger. So what does anger? Analyze the philosophy of anger. What does anger say? Why we go mad, like I can tell some experiences of people in American prisons who've been abused and falsely, you know, sorry, have been falsely accused of murder who literally go mad in prison. Because why do we go mad? Look into our lives. Forget about being accused of murder or being raped or tortured. 
Look when things, when someone at work doesn't like us. Look when someone lies to us. We are tortured by it. And what do we say? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve it. That's the philosophy of anger. And it's rooted in the ego grasping view of a self-existent me who didn't ask to get born. It's got a real link, you know. So if you if you have the view of karma, you know you've been reborn in the past. You know you've got a karma connection with these people. And, and you know that you so therefore you do not have even the thought why is this happening to me that's what anger is and they don't have it that's why they're not suppressing anything their philosophical view is so different so as one of them said at the end and of course we had compassion for our torturers because we knew we harmed them in the past and because we know they will suffer in the future that so in other words the compassion practice is more, Dalai Lama says compassion is not enough. You've got to have wisdom. And wisdom in Buddhism is the nuts and bolts of Buddhist teachings about the mind and about the law of karma. And that informs your view to yourself. And then it informs your ability to have compassion for every single sentient being. So karma is huge in the Buddhist view, not some extra kind of thing. You know? It informs our compassion. It's huge. So any questions for you? Huh? Nothing? There's no questions here in the chat, but if anybody right. wants to ask, just go for it. So, Rabina, could I ask you about purification? Yes, Helen. If... Um, how do you know when it's worked? I mean, is it is it something that I know we we do it every night? Um, we're doing it for the twenty four hours previous to the purification, or say if we have a feeling of regret that for a past action that we can't shake, do we keep purifying until? The regret goes. I mean, I... I understand your point, darling. And my feeling is it's like it's a process. It's not magic overnight. So if, let's say, you are a highly realised, like say you've got high realisations and you re and then you have such one day with your high realisations because you realise emptiness or whatever, or not even realise emptiness, but even got enormous compassion and you have incredible regret at some point and you have incredible purification, you could argue you probably hugely put atomic bombs under that in a dramatic way. So it's the strength of your mind that's involved in these four steps is the degree to which you purify. But finally, Helen, it's only when you've cut the root of ego grasping by realizing emptiness, that's um. when you cut them. They never are cut. You, that's why if you're in the peak of samsara and you're in the God realms or even in the formless realm, as the Hindus call it, you've completely subdued all your delusions, you're no longer in the lower realms, you're in the subtler state, you're not even creating negative karma, but you haven't realized emptiness. The karma will run out and you go back down to the lower realms again. So until you've realized karma, you, they will not stop. But you're radically changing when you're putting atomic bombs under them every day. You're pulling, you're removing, you're not pulling out the seeds, but you're removing the weeds. You're putting an atomic bomb under so you can start to grow the, the, the good things, which can then weaken. And the more you grow the good things, that weakens the negative ones. The more you regret, the negative ones that weakens the negative ones and they keep getting weaker and weaker and your virtue gets stronger and stronger it's an incremental right. process right and then eventually you realize emptiness you've cut the root of all of them you still got more work to do but you can't go back after that 
So it's a gradual incremental process. Right. It's the strength of your mind. As Lama Zopa says, purification is. Now, Lama Yeshi said, the strength, the power, these four opponent powers, the purification is the power of your regret, which is your mind, the power of your compassion and refuge, the power of your determination, of your purification, of your, of your medicine, and the power of your of your uh, rely, regret uh, rely um resolution or res resolve. Yeah, resolve so it's your mind if you just do it if, it's like you're chopping down a tree if you do one little whack there's nothing will change but if you whack it really hard you start to weaken it even more it's the strength of our mind that what purifies this is the point helen and it's right. gradual gradual incremental and you're just developing new habits darling right and lama Zobra says it's like one living in vows and two purifying, these are the brilliant tools without which we cannot change much. Mm. Mm. Do you understand? It's yes, like keeping yeah. ahead of the game, basically. Keeping yeah. the weeds. We know with gardens, especially if you're living in the tropics, if you wait a week, you're going to be having plants coming up your floor. You've got to keep <laughs> at it every day and you're weakening them. And when you weaken the tendencies, you're strengthening the good tendencies. So it's more than just one little thing at a time. Mm. Mm. Makes sense, that doesn't it? Lots of sense. Thank you. Yes. Good, Helen. Thanks, darling. That's an important question. All right, you people. What else? I always finish early. I don't want to cheat you or anything, but I think we've covered everything. Come on. What else? Talk to me, Jason. What else do you want to talk about? What time are you guys there? Um, so it's, oh, it's one o'clock. Yeah, ten past one. So I mean, we are we've we've been here for an hour and a half in this session. One thing I did yeah. want to say about um, the purification practice is that we have a recording of Venerable Ravina um, taking us through the Vajrasattva practice, and that's on YouTube, and we'll include it in the, um, the notes that we send out. But also every Monday night, since we have the teaching on Vajrasattva, every Monday night we have Vajrasattva practice at 7.30. Vajrasattva is the name of the Buddha that we put above our head from Tantra that we use as the, the Buddha for the purification process in this particular practice. We use that Buddha, yeah. So every uh, Monday night um, we have at 7.30 Vajrasattva practice via Zoom. Um, so we'll send a link out to that as well. Everyone's welcome to join. And we really just begin at 7.30. And we go for it's about 23 minutes long. You're welcome to come for the practice and leave straight away. It's just a great way to start the week. Good. That's great. Could you do that? Uh, uh, Dave, Dave has just said he has a question. So would you like to ask yeah. that? Good, Dave. Where is he? Yes, sweetheart. Talk to me. Hi. Unmute. Unmute. All right. Sorry, 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 sorry. Here you go. Good. Um, so with my daily practice, um, obviously still human. So some days I get tired. That's right. And I might not do a full uh, water bowl replenishment. Sure. Um, you know, it takes 40-odd minutes. But I still do water my free prostrations. David, what kind of how many water bowls do you do? Well, I, I have all the lights and they're all recharged batteries because they're like oh LCDs. And by the time I walk around and do everything, it takes 40 minutes, you know. You do it every morning. So, you do it every morning. Well, once a day. Once, yeah, I, I do it in the evening because I, I have to go to work at six and I just know it won't happen. So I do it in. Wonderful. But I still get, 
I still get up and do the free prostrations, the incense, and say my, you know, five minutes worth. So that's my offering. My question is, yeah, like when you're trying to um, go for a gold medal or lose weight, should I push myself to do the every day the fire, the full water bowls, or should okay, I so just be grateful that I, I understand? So I need to ask your question first, David. Have you formally taken refuge? Yes, you're my well, guru. Darling, you've got to, you committed to do offerings every day. So you've got to look okay. at what you're committed to do. If you don't have any commitment, you do what you can. But it's really good to know, don't do more than you're committed. Sometimes people will watch their breath for one hour, but not keep their commitments. It's ridiculous. If you've got commitments, if you've taken refuge, you're committed to do offerings every day. And the water bowls isn't the only way you can do offerings. You can also keep that by just offering an apple. You don't have to do all the drama. You can do it shorter if you like. You're committed to make offerings. You're committed to take refuge morning and night. You're committed to be nice to people. You're committed to do a bit of study. You're committed to honor the, the three jewels, et cetera, et cetera. There's half a dozen things. If you're keeping your commitments, David, that's what counts. But then it's like anything. You know yourself. You do your commitments. That's important. You keep your word of honor with your teachers, your Buddha. But the other one is, it's everything is a question of how much you want to be committed to doing what you're doing. If you want to become like Federer, you know, you know very well you've got to sacrifice 17 other things to practice eight, 10 hours a day. You, if you want to, you know, and those of us who, you know, some people, most of us won't be that way. Most of us won't go to the mountains and give up sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but some do. It's up to what we can do. And then because we know we're busy in our lives, David, we've got to be very, very skillful in choosing the most powerful practices to create the most amount of virtue and to do the purification. So, as you know, even though you're not committed to do purification, I would say it is vital that you do that every single night, even for five minutes, David. It's incredibly yes. important. And then keep your vows purely. Keep your vows purely. Do your purification. Make some offerings every day. Take refuge every day. That's the essence of what you've got. And if you do that skillfully, some days you can take an hour. Sometimes you do five minutes. But just okay. be wise, you know, be wise, David. Yeah. And then right. see the benefits of it. I mean, we all know ourselves, if you see the benefits of something, if you know there are benefits, you will do it. So you've got to think of the benefits, not just to be a good boy. Think of the benefits to you. Then you'll do it. And you make your decisions. Do you understand? Yes. Yes. Thank good. you. All right, darling. Good. What else, people? I think Maria, we finished. Huh? Oh, Maria had a question. Maria? Oh, good, Maria. Talk to me, sweetheart. Unmute. Yes. Um, so I have a family that's very negative and always talking about people and, you know, making comments. And it's very difficult to have a conversation. <laughs> My niece is engagement party last night and you know and there it all was everything the whole thing and sometimes i can't even have a conversation with them if i don't get involved in it sure exactly i understand that it's very difficult it must be very difficult maria and sometimes so I, find I just get involved because that's what's expected i know i know darling i understand but that's why you've got to be so conscious so first of all are they are they like you live near your family do you you live near uh, your family on what my friend Kathy calls PPD, preferred parental distance. Okay. So then, I'm how often? An hour away. So how often a week or a day or a month do you see your family? How often? I see them probably once a week or once every two weeks. And you make a decision. To, so my feeling is this: I know exactly what you're talking, Maria. So the thing is, 
you try to decide, you decide, you decide, okay. I mean, how long do you stay when you go? Well, I stayed at my sister's place last night because the engagement party went quite late. Oh, cool. It would have been late, yeah. So the guys you just got to decide in advance. You know exactly what you're getting in for, but you know they're your family. You know it's good. For, so think of from their sake, it's good to have a connection with you. And then you can be quietly and subtly a good example. You don't have to be like Pollyanna. But they one at some point, they'll, they might just think you're agreeing with them. But there is a way of being with people without agreeing with them. There really is. And they'll just in the end think Maria's a lovely person. And they, of course, they'll agree. They'll think that you agree with everything they say you can't stop that but you've got to decide in advance this is this is my advice one you decide in advance you know you're going to go you decide you're going to go there for their sake you be there for them and exactly whatever they want let them do it and have zero resistance and just try to have compassion and be friendly be friendly chatty maria and then you say goodbye mum see you next week and mm -hmm. once you do that you'll get less stress but the other one is and may i suggest you try not to talk about them when you're not there. And then you won't have so much stress at all. Make a decision you don't talk about them because that's just adds the negativity, adds up the resistance. You will find that you'll you'll feel quite different when you start to do those two things. That's my that's my advice. That that is the biggest issue because they'll all sit and talk about, you know, so and so, and then they'll talk about so and so. That's right, exactly. Yeah. You've got to let them do it and love them for who they are and not resist it because the resistance is just anger and then that, that's what makes you stressed. Mm. You've got to, got to decide in advance, you know exactly what's going to happen and you think I'm going to be there for their sake and love them for who they are. And if you decide that, you will not get so much stress because mm. your stress is simply your aversion. You're wishing they didn't do it and that's what's causing you your misery. They're not causing you your misery. It's your own aversion to it. So when you see that, you'll change and you'll be much more easygoing. Well, I get, I get roped in as well. I know, but you've got to be skillful. That's my point. You've got to be skillful in what you say and how you say it. Yeah. You've just got to be skillful, darling. Yeah. You've got to be, that's your decision to be skillful. And they, they, they're not going to notice your view. They're all busy saying their own views. Yeah. It's, it's a, a way of doing it. Habit. It's what? a lifetime habit. It's a what? It's a lifetime habit. Yeah, darling. Of course, families are very like minefields. Yeah. But I think decide in advance, though. You know what's going to happen, and you're just going to accept that whatever happens, happens, and you're there for their sake and love them for who they are. And, and, and then, second, don't talk about them so much behind their backs. I promise you, you'll find a difference in your own self if you do that. I promise you. Thank you. All right, darling. That'll do, people. We're done. And if we can. What? One. What happened? Quick final question, Venerable Rabina, from Daryl. Daryl's asking, is it possible to take refuge online and would you offer refuge vows online? I see. Well, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, yes, of course I would do that if a person wanted to do that. Um, have we ever done the refuge teachings in this, in this group? We yeah. have. Yes, we have, yeah. You've got the tape of it? Um, Video. In person last time. No, we've got we we have got um we may have some video. You didn't video the last teachings about refuge, in other words. We we did video it, but we haven't put that onto our YouTube channel. But oh, you've got the video. We'll have the video. Yeah. Well, we'll I would suggest Daryl. I would suggest that you have a particular class. You use those teachings. Daryl can come to those teachings, and you you discuss it and let him hear the teachings, and then you'll hear all the things that I say, not the refuge ceremony itself, but the teachings about it. 
It's important you do a little group for that, but you know, Daryl can come to that. And then if Daryl wants it with, you've got to choose who you want it with. And if you've decided you want it with me, you've thought about that, you've got to be ready and know that you've got to commit, you make a relationship with that person. You learn to try to see them as the Buddha. So you've got to be clear who you're choosing. If you feel confident about that, you've heard the teachings and then we can certainly do it online. Absolutely. Maybe we'll do it as part of the group next time we do a teaching or something. If you'd like that, you too. Certainly, Daryl, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Right, you know, so then what are you going to, we'll do the dedication at the end. Do you have something to say, Jason? Um, so we, we would like to make a small offering. And um, that's from the whole, all the attendees. We say thank you so much for these teachings. And um, we will send that through. And um, we would really wish for you to quickly get well and to remain for a very long time, very healthy, and continue to teach until samsara ends. And please return to teach us specifically here um, online and then one day in person. Sure thing. No worries. I'll do. I can't guarantee about the life one. I can bully death to be quiet for a while. I suppose we'll see what happens. And uh, and I'd love. I can't wait to get back to Melbourne. I'm missing my. Usually these days, it's usually every year I go back to Melbourne and see my family, but I haven't been now for quite a while. So I hope to get back to Melbourne soon, definitely. So thank you all, you darling people, so kind. Thank you, thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, thank you. Is all I can say. So Jung Chul Sem Chul Rinpoche. We'll just sing the prayers together. Yeah, there you go. Just, I'll say the words in, in Tibetan and English and then think the thoughts. So this first one is, may bodhicitta, this amazing aspiration to benefit others, may it grow and grow and grow in the hearts of all. Okay, next one. Next one. There you go. No, no, are you there? You go. Yeah. Let's so Jang Chob Sem Chog Rinpoche, Makie Panam Kegyuchi, Kepanyam Pame Paya, Gongne Gongdu, Helbak May, the precious supreme bodhicitta, this amazing aspiration to only benefit others. May not yet born in the minds of others, may it arise, and may that that has arisen in the mind, may it not decline. And then the other one above, go back again. This is so-called dedication. What all this means is this. In the beginning, we decided we'd listen to these teachings. Why? So we can become a Buddha, so we can benefit others. So dedication, you're thinking, well, what did I? What was that action I just did? I listened to all these teachings. Why did I do it? So I can be a benefit to sentient beings and become a Buddha. So then you remember at the end of the dedication, that's why you sowed all those seeds. So you think, because of this, may I become a Buddha, just like I'm motivated, so I can lead all sentient beings to enlightenment. It's reminding yourself, that's all of what you just did. That's it, marvelous. And may all our holy lamas live long. Okay, may Lama Zopa, Dalai Lama, live long. And there's this marvelous teaching, if you want to go to it tomorrow, you can just go on YouTube. Um, it's uh, whatever the time is, nine o'clock, I think nine o'clock, nine a.m. in Indian time, a 90 minute teaching on emptiness. It's a lovely text. His Holiness has agreed to teach it. And it's uh, nine o'clock tomorrow. And it'll be online, you can listen to it later. 2.30 Melbourne time. 2.30 Melbourne time, wonderful. 90 minute teaching. Okay, precious ones. That's mm -hmm. it. We're done. We what are you doing? Like to, um, uh, your oh. long life, for your long life prayer, Venerable Rabina. Okay, fine. So you say that prayer. This is something Lama Zopa wrote a few years ago. Somebody requested, apparently. So Rubishay very kindly wrote this. Okay. So we Mother, think of all that. 
We think of all our teachers. We think of all our teachers. May they live a long, long life. So go, Sophie. Mother of the victorious ones of three times and ten directions, Dharmakaya, the great bliss embraced by great compassion, my perfect Aryatara, who in an ordinary form of the guide for us pitiful transmigrating beings left guideless, how kind you are. May all your wishes be instantly fulfilled and may your life be stable until samsara ends. O mighty one, you who destroy all the enemy of delusions, who reveal the Dharma of scripture and realization, spreading it in the mental continuum of transmigrating beings, thereby eliminating the two obscurations, including their imprints. How kind you are. May all your wishes be instantly fulfilled and may your life be stable until samsara ends. By the blessings of the Guru, the Deity and the Dharma Protectors and unbetraying actions and their results, as well as the truth of ultimate reality, in all of my lifetimes, may I only please and never displease for even one second the Guru, and may the vital points of my prayers be fulfilled. Okay, darling, you're doing a wonderful job. Keep moving, okay? All of you, never give up, never give up, never give up, okay? Much love, much love, much love, and thank you, everybody. So kind. So happy to see you all, really. Wonderful. Thank you, precious ones. Thank you. Thank you, Venerable Rabina. Thank you. Thank you, Venerable Rabina. Thank you. Thank you, Jason and Amy. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Rabina. Thank you, Rabina. Thank you.